the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds with Jerry Boyer um, on um, Salem Podcast Network. Uh, My guest today, back for um, a second appearance, uh, is Dr. Robert Plummer, um, who is the New Testament chair at Southern Baptist. Um, And uh, we talked previously about, now this is confusing, I guess it's chiastic, Um, his most recent book about Greek is the beginning Greek book. A year before that um, is the intermediate Greek book. So he did intermediate before beginner, uh, but you don't, I, that's not the order in which I think you should read them. So we talked at some length about his, his um, what, what was the title of the, of the intro book? Yeah, the intro is entitled <laughs> Beginning with New Testament Greek. So if you kind of look at the, the cover way back, it looks like Beginning Greek. Yes. And then the second one is Going Deeper with New Testament Greek. So you got Beginning Greek and Deeper Greek. So they kind of have a, 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 a parallel sort of expression. Well, yes, uh, this is the sequel, uh, Deeper Greek, which uh, basically would you characterize this as an intermediate New Testament yes. Greek book? Yes, it's an intermediate grammar that's especially geared towards the classroom, towards the student. So not not a reference grammar that you're just that's made to just put on the shelf and look stuff up, but it's it's made to teach intermediate Greek. It's co-authored, I should mention, with Andreas Kostenberger and Ben Merkel. Uh, and I would say that this is a book that is meant to be read. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of textbooks are not really readable. It's more like there a lot of textbooks are almost like class notes. So you go to the class and it's the same material, but the textbook isn't readable. There isn't a lot of prose in textbooks typically. There's just more like bullet points. This actually is written in a kind of a conversational style. So you this is my this has been on my bed table. This has been my nighttime mm. reading. I'm not <laughs> saying your your writing yeah. puts me to sleep. Yeah. Dr. I was wondering about that. Um, I do sleep after, but it doesn't put me yeah. to sleep. Uh, that's just the circadian rhythm that's responsible for that. And by the way, there's also a uh, laminate summary. Laminated charts, that's right, that summarize the textbook. And recently, these have been only $6.99 on Amazon, which is a really good price. It is. Um, and and they're, the beginning Greek also, I should mention, has a set of laminated charts with it. Um, now, both uh, for your viewers, both grammars have lots of free stuff that anyone can access. If you go to the website, beginninggreek.com for this one, beginninggreek.com. And for this one, deepergreek.com. Now there, I will note, uh, I don't think you can get the first edition anymore, but there's a, there's one that has revised edition on it here. Uh, some, just, um, some corrections and changes and updates, but, but uh, Jerry, just keep what you got. You're good. (laughs) I guess I don't have the revised. You don't have the revised edition. Uh, but I'll send you one. If you sit, I'll get your address after. I'll make sure you get a revised, a free revised edition. You've already sent me this. I feel like I'm already too much. Yeah. Yeah. The daily dose mug. Well, you need a book too. So we'll send you one. (laughs) B and H will send it to you. I'll ask them to. It's fine. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, And, uh, but 
your viewers, if they look at deepergreek.com, they'll see some of the distinctives of the textbook and, and lots of free stuff too, like um, PowerPoint presentations for each chapter you can download for free, um, vocabulary flashcards for free, all that stuff. So uh, I don't think that people understand how doable this is. Uh, so you're beginning Greek or beginning with New Testament Greek, um, that book. So I, I was able to read through that a little bit each evening. And then Sunday afternoons, I went to um, the website. And you can also get to all of it through Daily Dose of Greek. That links to everything. And just went through the PowerPoints and went through the videos. You have videos for each of these. Um, and that's Sunday afternoons. I think that was maybe a little less than a year to get through that. And yeah. then maybe another six months of going deeper in the same thing. Um, so a year and a half to two years. And I'm a, I'm a really busy person. Um, so, and I was able to do that. And I'm, it's not like I'm a super quick learner. It's just, you just put in that time. Um, so this is very doable. And I think people, maybe because it's a slightly different alphabet or whatever, or because they didn't do well in high school Spanish or people just don't think they're smart enough, but every Greek child learned Greek. <laughs> yeah, that's Even right. Even the dumb kids learned yes. Greek. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. So yeah, this and- is doable. Yes, I think prop it is a hundred percent doable and very rewarding as as you've discovered yourself how enjoyable it is to be able to read the Bible in the original language. I mean, and it's something that literally thousands of people around the world, whether through this grammar or other grammars, are learning to do this. People who are retired, people who are mid middle of their life, people who are students. People in elementary school, yes, you totally can do it, and it's very rewarding. Um, as you mentioned, there's all, all kinds of free instructional videos, and I'll mention we added something very recently on there. Um, I was going to grab it off here, but it's a PDF. If you go to beginninggreek.com and you go to the student downloads, it's the last thing that was added underneath there. It's um, a little a workbook of, of translation, hmm. and uh, Greg Wolf put this together. He's a friend of mine. After you study this book, you'll know about 330 vocabulary words. So he's a computer guy. He said, give me all the verses in the New Testament that only use those words, only those words and nothing else. And so it has 611 verses. I mean, it's a nice little booklet and and you won't run into a single vocabulary word that you haven't learned. Now, there are plenty of other verses that have a few words that you haven't learned as well, but but that's a a free little workbook, a reading book that people can joyfully apply the knowledge that they've learned. So. Uh, the other thing they can do is they can go to um, Daily Dose of Greek um, mm-hmm. and work their way through John's gospel now, or mm-hmm. you can go to the archive and work your way through Mark's gospel, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who are lectionary people, I know you Baptists, that's, what is that lecture? I don't know what that is. Uh, I know you, of course you know what it is, but a lot of Baptists don't use it, but uh, Episcopalians and Lutherans and Roman Catholics have the lectionary. That just finished Mark, mm-hmm. right? So, and yeah. now we're entering into the year of Luke. Uh, yeah, I don't think you have Luke, but you have Mark and you have John, right? We have, we have. well, we're halfway through, we're going through John right now. So people, if they go to dailydoseofgreek.com, and that's geared a little bit more the daily videos towards people who have some knowledge of Greek already. Although you, like you mentioned, there's basic instructional videos on there too. Sending out a daily two to three minute screencast. We're writing on the text. They can hear my voice as they see me mark up the text. 
And and we also have those on apps, the on the Apple, the iOS app, the Android app, and that's a really efficient way to look at the archives or find find previous videos. But we have on the archives all of the Gospel of Mark, all of the Book of Revelation, all of First, uh, Second, Third John, all the Book of Philemon. So we have, I mean, literally, um, I think about two thousand uh, free downloadable videos. I didn't I didn't see that you had Revelation. Mm-hmm. The uh, whole book of Revelation. Wow. Yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's, that's, that's well worth it. Um, at least I'll understand the grammar. Revelation, <laughs> the grammar is not very hard, really. I mean, there are some unusual dimensions to it, but uh, the vocabulary and syntax are, are not that difficult. Um, there's <laughs> the biggest problem with Revelation for students is uh, some rare vocabulary, like for the word for frog and rainbow and dragon. They don't know some of this rare, or all the stones and the, you know, New Jerusalem. It's just, you know, you never run into those. And then actually the grammatical irregularities, students usually don't really notice them, but there are a few grammatical irregular, like in other words, there won't be a, a agreement between a participle and the noun that it's describing and, and commentaries debate why this is and so on. But most beginning students really d- don't notice. So I see. Well, speaking of, you know, um, participles not agreeing in number, um, et cetera, a lot of that material is covered in uh, the intermediate Greek, the going deeper with New Testament Greek. Yeah. So um, basically you start off with textual criticism, which is great. I, I'm really hoping for a just that I w- my appetite was whetted mm. on that. Um, so yeah. I don't know if that's on the agenda, but yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking to see if I can see a book I'm going to recommend to you back here. I might not be able to grab it real fast, but Dirk Yonkind, J O N G K I N D, Dirk Yonkind. Mm-hmm. He uh, he is at Tyndall House, Cambridge, and he just came out with a little paperback recently about text criticism and the text of the New Testament, that, that'd that be a great book to read. Yeah, and I, I, I just find it, it's tough to read the apparati, uh, the, yes. uh, the CNTS or the Tischendorf. It's like a highly specialized language. I don't know the language of, like the symbolic language of that sort of thing. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yes, we've done a few videos. I've had especially some guest people who are really into text criticism. So if you go into the Daily Dose website, dailydoseofgreek.com, and you go up in the search bar, if you type in textual apparatus or uh, UBS, UBS5, Nestle Elant, search some of those, especially textual apparatus, 
you'll pull up some instructional videos that teach you how to how to read that. And you've got some principles here in terms of yeah. resolving textual criticisms. I think you have kind of an answer to the King James only, um, that, that kind of dogma, respectful, um, mm-hmm. but still an answer and um, kind of explain sort of the state of things now, which is not this text is right versus that text is right, but being able to see kind of why in some cases some textual tradition might have something right but have something else wrong and be able to sort of try to recreate the probable original text yeah there's yeah there's no like uh you know as you're speaking about it i agree with everything you said there's no like secret vatican archives of changed manuscripts you know all these sensationalist things we hear in in the media or in movies in fact, anyone with a modern Bible has an ESV, NIV, New Living Translation. Down at the bottom of the page, it's every two or three pages going to have a little footnote. It's going to yeah. say some manuscripts read this, Dead Sea Scrolls read this, reads this, you know, and, and, and all, all text criticism is, is exploring those issues, why there are variants in ancient manuscripts and how could we can be confident what the original writing of the author read you know would you agree with this with this statement that to the general public the that the general public to the degree that it's thinking about this question um vastly overstates the degree to which the you know the process of copying 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 distorts the meaning or makes us unable to understand what the original text was. Yes. Um, in, in other words, there's this kind of sense, well, that's so long ago that, that we couldn't possibly know anything um, because yeah. it's been copied so many times over and over again, that yeah. that is an oversold story. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if people want to go on YouTube and search for Peter Williams, he's at Tyndall house, Cambridge. He's done some nice talks about the reliability of text transmission or Dan Wallace frequently speaks on this in churches. He's an expert on text criticism. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you actually, when you begin to actually look at the evidence for the manuscripts, how early they are, where they've, what are these variants we're talking about? Sometimes students, when they, they, they haven't thought about this, they're like, Oh, what are all these? And say, Oh, well, is, is there a Sigma in this word? You know, this, or is there not? Or, you know, the variants this, are basically spelling variations overwhelmingly, right? Usually yeah. extremely minor things. Uh, is there a conjunction dead there or not? Is the article there? Is this a third singular verb or a third plural? And, and you can see like on the standard, one of the standard critical texts, the United Bible Society, fifth edition, listing all significant variants, you might have one or two per page. You know, and they're the, mostly the kinds of things that we're talking about like this, you know. Right, yeah. There's a few big items like the woman taken in adultery um, yes. or the end of yes. Mark. Um, yes. But and, and Those are the two big ones. Those are the two big yeah. ones. And there's a, yeah. you know, I don't see any doctrine. Oh, I was just listening to your Mark um, because I was preaching through Mark because of mm-hmm. the lectionary. And thus he made all foods clean. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if we have an Omicron versus an Omega then we might have a neuter versus a masculine. Therefore, it might be thus foods are purged or thus he made all foods clean. The text, I think, favors the thus, mm. the, 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 um, the masculine, 
right? Um, but is there really a doctrine in place? Because later on, it's clear that all foods are clean, at least by Acts 10. But whether it happened in Mark 10 or Acts 10, you know, so I don't, I mean, yeah. there's not some textual variant that's going to like destroy the doctrine of the Trinity or something like that. Yes. Yeah, there it's, you're correct. Um, the variants usually are are not doctrinally significant usually right. right and even the ones that might you might say well this could be somewhat doctrinally significant in terms of uh you know is it asserting this truth or this truth there's a multiplicity of texts that make clear the unified voice of scripture on these on these issues you know so even if you're like well i don't know if this verse is 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 this verse clearly asserting the deity of jesus or not well there are other verses that clearly are right um so um yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that, again, most people, they just kind of have absorbed some skepticism from radio shows or from TV or movies. And if it's something you really look into, it can actually strengthen your faith. The thousands, literally over 5000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts that have been preserved dating back to the early second century. So the early 100s, just astounding uh, what we have compared to any other ancient piece of literature. Just talking about the New Testament. Yeah, we've got some very early P's, you know, P for papyrus. We've, we've mm -hmm. got early mm -hmm. second century. Yeah. Uh, we've got, you know, people who knew John. Um, we've got, uh, oh. uh, you know, that that quickly. Yeah. And I think some, a point that some other people have made is, look, this isn't like you buy a book and throw it out after two years. These This is vellum or whatever. Uh, so a copy yeah. of a copy might be a copy, and then that copy's around for 300 years, two or 300 yes. years. Then you yeah. make another copy. So yeah. uh, it's more long-lasting. I'm yeah. sorry, you, you were going to say something. No, just, and, and with the, you know, digital technology and the internet, all of these ancient manuscripts can be viewed. There's nothing, again, there's no secret Vatican archive. You go to Center for Study of New Testament Manuscripts.org, CSNTM.org. Mm -hmm. Go in there. You can look at P46, pull up high, high quality, you know, co go to Codex Vaticanus.org. You can, you can, or Codex Sinaiticus.org, Vaticanus website, slightly different. You can go type in, I want to go to John 1 1. So, Sinaiticus, that's the Tischendorf one, right? Uh, Sinaiticus is the Tischendorf, yeah. Right. And it's all been scanned in and like cued. You can you can go exactly to the verse you want, blow it up. It'll give you the English to the side even. It's amazing. And that's from the early 300s. Um, just astounding. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And what's shocking is to see how similar different textual traditions are. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are careful about this. Yeah, I think most students would read through, uh, let's say we had Codex Sinaiticus written down in modern Greek font, like students are used to reading, uh, they would rarely note, even though there'd be some minor differences, rarely would anyone notice them. The main thing they might notice is where the divine name is written with the first and last letter and the two lines over it. You know, like, you, or you have like, if you have like Theos theta, right, or you have right. Jesus, you'll have the first and the last letter with a little line over the top. That's not a, a system that's followed in our modern Greek New Testaments, but was frequently followed in, in ancient texts. So is that he, a Hebraism or is that a, an, an, um, an, no, short, I mean, short, like, um, you mentioned God not, so much that we're going to use the abbreviation. Yeah. yeah I think it's, uh, no one ever told us is <laughs> so that no one ever said why they were doing it. 
Michael Kruger, who's a president of Reformed Theological Seminary, has written some about this in his book on canon. And he's argued that it shows a, a very early canonical impulse and that the authors are doing this in works that they view as distinct from other works. Oh, it's a way of saying this is a, this is a unique inspired work. And so, uh, and and usually, so so it's not followed in the apocryphal writings. Is that right? Or it's not followed in the Gnostic writings. Is that that the idea? I would have to check on that, but I think so. Hmm. I think so. Uh, It's, it's certainly not followed just in like, regular apostolic apostolic fathers writings right there there and I, I know it's followed in the new testament writings um it's uh and you it's not always like you think you look at you think they're doing jesus they're doing the word spirit they're doing the word like oh is it you know only god but then they'll do every now and then they'll do words that seem not as theologically significant like anthropos and sometimes it seems kind of random hmm. i'm not an ex it's called the nomina sacra this the the sacred this name, procedure right? the sacred name but it it's not always done for for God or for His name. So um, I'm going to defer to Kruger on that. Uh, Michael Kruger and his, his in his recent books on canon. So when you say anthropos, it's not it's not we all. Anth- uh, no, son, it's uh, it's not always a reference to Jesus as the Son as of Man. The son of might, man. Okay, it might just have uh, you know an alpha and a sigma and a so. It, but but it's. It's a it does seem you're like well maybe they're just saving space you know these are words that occur all the time right but yeah it's, it's you think there's more you don't, you don't find it in you know Ignatius or something Irenaeus or things like that you know it's it's uh, seems like it's unique to scripture or at least I'm not sure on the on the apocrypha at least it's by documents that are revered as unique and distinct uh in some way um i but i think from kruger i'd have to check i think it, he's arguing canon you know obviously which would only be old and new testament yeah which helps shed light on the canonical question yeah yeah right so even pre-canonical explicit discussion or you know just sort of random uh comments less organized or just it it, it shows this canonical impulse since this implicit canon so yeah. um as as I was reading, going deeper with New Testament Greek, I felt like this is the book that tells you all the things that in intro we said we don't we can't get into this now, or <laughs> yeah, all of the things yeah. where you learned a general rule, but not the exceptions to the rule, uh-huh. and maybe uh-huh. even something like oh, there's a deeper rule that shows that even the variations. Th- this this is where you start to learn. It's not irregular. It's just a, it's actually that this verb form or whatever is actually consistent with a more universal grammatical principle that isn't, you're not ready for it with luo, luois, lue, but that there's actually, a, you know, a reason for these things that seem irregular, a kind of a, you know, to use Aslan, kind of the deeper magic, mm. you know, the deeper mm. laws of grammar, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you can start to now understand the irregularities are just another kind of regularity. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. The I agree with you in that I tell students every now and then I have a student for whatever reason, 
um, you know, maybe their their Greek is not required in their MA program and they're taking Greek. They say, well, I'm I'm going to quit after this. I mean, I ha- oh, it's great, but I'm going to just go. I usually say, please <laughs> take Greek syntax because you're a little bit dangerous right now. You know, like <laughs> you you think you understand the genitive. You say, oh, plus I said, but there's there's a lot of nuances of the genitive. The genitive can express time. The genitive can express like price content it can express um you know the object of a verbal idea the so, so you, we need it, intermediate greek is new as you noted nuancing out a set you have a simple understanding and then it's kind of filling out the potential nuances of that and and patterns that were a little too complicated to explain in beginning greek yeah speaking of dangerous so when you see things gone wrong, um, you know, uh, when pastors, they might take one year of, of Greek um, and then they, they get out and they start preaching. And now I know Greek. You don't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what do you see as the pitfalls, the most common um, mistakes? Please don't mention any of the things that I do. Um, the most common yeah, mistakes yeah. where they kind of, you know, practice Greek without a license and end up, uh, you know, maybe doing some, potentially doing some. Yeah. Well, one of the common, and I, I try to be very charitable in this, like, uh, I don't go around trying to point out people's mistakes or things like that. That's not my, and I do tell my students generally, this is a general rule, which I sometimes break myself. I tell them that Greek should be like underwear. It should provide support, but not be visible. Right. So, you know, like I'm not a big fan of, you know, people going up in the pulpit and giving a lot of Greek, but I want it to undergird. I want it to to inform what they're saying and be the foundation for it. I do think probably some of the most common mistakes relate to word studies, Mm. like the etymological fallacy where people try to take what the word meant hundreds of years prior and read that into the current usage. Maybe they. Maybe they read it in a poor resource and they just kind of repeating it. Um, Maybe would Lagos be an example of that? I have seen people build gigantic philosophical and theological systems, you know, basically saying, well, John is, you know, you go, here's how Plato used Lagos. Yeah. Well, that's a fair, because all words, so maybe, maybe they're, that could be part of it, depending on how they're going with it. Or that could be the word study fallacy too of of uh what's called the illegitimate totality transfer so what we're saying there is word like the word logos can mean many different things it can mean like word a singular communication mm-hmm. word like a discourse unit it can also be used for an account like settling an account with someone where they owe money it can have a it can be used in philosophical literature as you've noted about sort of this uh principle like logical over over organizing principle and so, but but whether it's logos or something else, sometimes people will take all those definitions and assume like all of those are present in each use of the word, right? Yes. Ille- t- illegitimate totality transfer, illegitimately taking the totality of what a word could mean right. and thinking that each instance contains that totality. And so that can result in, as you're noting, some, some really uh, deep, uh, some tangents of thought. Now, John one one. I think it's a fair question. Say what what is what is the most natural way that John intended us to understand 
the word logos here. And it's hard to not look first at the Old Testament. <laughs> By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. You know, yes. like it's clear right. that that's the most immediate background. But it's also clear that he is writing in Greek and he expects there to be some uh, probably some level of his language, you know, is very universal in the sense of understandable to a wide audience, light and darkness. And he's choosing Jesus teaching and describe him in such a way that it is ex- broadly accessible. But yeah, I think word studies are probably one of the most common. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that might be going on there is I think for, a, for several generations of pastors, theologians, they would be trained in classical Greek mm-hmm. and then go to the New Testament. They yeah. didn't cut their teeth on the Septuagint. They cut their teeth on the Socratic dialogues, for example. Yeah. So there would be a strong tendency to read the semantic range of classical Greek. Um, start with that rather than the semantic range of the Septuagint, which would probably mm. be most relevant to a New Testament writer. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's potential. Um, that's true. If someone is reading uh, the meaning of te- you know, words in their classical context from hundreds of years prior, rather than the Koine literature itself, which we know from the papyri or from from other writings, especially the Septuagint, is the most important one. Right. Then that that result could result in distortion. Um, I'll give another example, and I, again, I don't want to offend uh, you or any of your viewers, but one that's pastors. So many pastors have used right John twenty twenty one John twenty one where. Uh, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, lo- you know, and people make a big deal out of the variation between agapao and phileo. Mm-hmm. However, if you read John's gospel in Greek, he loves to use near synonyms all over the place for so many different things. It's part of his idiolect. It is. It's yeah. how he writes. And even in the passage in John 21, it says Peter was sad. He doesn't say Peter was sad because he used this Greek verb. He says Peter was sad because Jesus asked him, a third time. Yes. It yes. says, it says why time. he was sad, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the repetition. Also, of the was Jesus speaking Greek when he was talking to Peter? I mean, it's possible. Probably not. But yeah, Aramaic prob- would have been the more speaking, natural. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably speaking Aramaic. Right. Um, and if, if theoretically, let's say there were two different words for love in Aramaic and, and we didn't have all the literary context, but, and then you can say, well, is, is is um you know john conveying some new but but again john's style everything else seems to say this is just stylistic variation um like he does throughout his whole book um and he's already done that with agapao and phileo the father phileo is the son the father agapao is the son is it's the same meaning so yeah that's a case where again a sort of a simplistic understanding maybe they probably heard a reputable preacher someone they loved and respected who's worthy of love and respect use that and so then it's kind of repeated by other people yeah um that's a good point and and i think you know with these reputable preachers they have other um guardrails in place so they might exaggerate a greek linguistic point but they're not going to crash you know, because of that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, I would say, it's just, unfortunately, it's just a distraction from what could have been a more focused and faithful sermon. So, uh, yeah. you know, people say, well, Jesus is saying this now. Well, you know, that, okay, you're just kind of wandering off from the, the real focus of the text at that point. 
in the end, your sermon could have been more focused. It could have been stronger, but it's not like you're teaching heresy or something like that. Right. And by the way, you know, kind of our patron saint around here, C.S. Lewis, maybe has contributed a bit to this with The Four mm-hmm. Loves, which is a wonderful kind of no. philosophical book, but might be over-reading the, var- the semantic range mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. between um, agape, yes. philos, um, yes. philo. Um, yeah, conceptually, he's totally right, right? Yeah. There's a difference between romantic love and friendship and erotic love, certainly. But the root question for the New Testament is a different question, right? Does phileo and agapao, what, what are their semantic ranges as used by this author or something like that? So, yeah. You know, I think something that's helped me more than anything else with what you've done with these books in the Daily Dose of Greek is not so much the Greek that I've learned because I'm still really a beginner in many ways. Um, It is that by making me read the Greek, you've slowed me down. Mm. And by slowing me down, you've made me pay closer attention to the text than I would normally have done with English, which I I can't skim Greek, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I can skim English. And so tiny little textual things... Uh, there was one of them in Mark. Now, actually, I'd already paid a lot of attention to this, and I have stuff in my book about it. But when, 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 when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler and he lists the Ten Commandments, and he says, do not defraud, stereo, I believe, um, you, you talk about this and you stop and say, well, wait a minute, that's not in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and you speculate a little bit about why that is, and I'd have a similar view I'd, um, than yours. Um, but it makes someone stop and think about it, as does looking at the textual material, because that's not in all the texts. So mm-hmm. slowing us down makes us read more carefully, because I think that most of us feel like we're more f- familiar with the New Testament than we actually are, and are therefore overconfident in our ability to get to the main point, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being changed by the text. Mm. Does that make any amen. sense? Yeah, amen. I, I agree with you. I mean, Psalm 1, you know, we need to be uh, like trees planted by streams of water, you know, we need you just soaking in that word slowly and and uh, reading it in the original language hopefully does cause us to meditate, to carry it with us, to think about it more carefully. And the spirit then we pray takes that knowledge and meditation and presses it into our souls and our minds, our hearts makes us value what God values and hate the things that he hates. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm i glad that reading the Greek New Testament has been that spiritually nourishing experience for you. And, and sometimes you're not sure, like, again, Mark 10, um, washing hands from the marketplace, baptizing with fists. Okay, mm-hmm. something going on there? I'm not sure. You know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, yeah. but I'm, yeah. I'm going to stop and think about that. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. then just how it happens around then I was reading Rabbi Daniel Boyarin, who is suggesting that there's actually something live going on here, that there is a f- pugnacious element mm-hmm. uh, to the p- party that is rebuking Jesus and the disciples for not washing. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't even think about that. I, and I don't have a firm conclusion no. on it, right? Yeah. You suggested, and then maybe not. We'll see. But so it's hard to know sometimes which things are live metaphors and that, like hypocrites, right? I've, I, that's a, a, a mask wearer, literally under critic. 
So mm. does Jesus mean that, or is it by then a dead metaphor? I, I, mm. You know, mm. I, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't even know to think about it unless the Greek made me slow down and think about it. Yeah, yeah. And to most of the students I'm teaching are going to be ministers, pastors, missionaries, biblical counselors. And for them to use the best resources, the best commentaries, the, mo- the most careful and technical commentaries, they're enge- those commentaries are engaging with the original language. So they can't even really follow the conversation, the debate, the discussion, weigh the evidence, unless they can, uh, to some degree, have a usable knowledge of the biblical languages. So that's a great point. Other than popular commentaries, you can't read them unless you can at least sound out the letters or have some knowledge mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so daily dose of Greek just hit three million views this. We we this year, we did uh, yeah. Over the last, my webmaster told me over the last three hundred sixty five days, whenever he was counting that, we hit uh, three million total video views, which you know is maybe how many Beyonce gets in thirty minutes, but for us. We're like, yay, <laughs> we're excited and, and watched in over 100 countries, which we're uh, really excited to provide that instruction free around the world. Um, and you've recently, you, you do Daily Dose of Hebrew. We have um, Daily Dose of Greek. Yeah, Daily yeah. Dose of Hebrew, Latin. Daily Dose of Aramaic. And Aramaic's the new one. Latin's what, about two years maybe? Yeah, year? yeah, Daily Dose of Latin. And yeah. then we also have a Spanish Daily Dose of Greek, a Spanish Daily Dose of Hebrew, a Korean daily dose of Greek, and we're getting ready to roll out Portuguese, Greek, and Hebrew, and hopefully Chinese Greek. So that's that's my next vision is is to help um, tr- scholars within these major language groups uh, give them the resources, tools, training, so that they're able to provide um, this sort of ongoing accountability to native speakers in their own country. And and again, you just launched Daily Dose of Aramaic. So someone, I mean, that was maybe like yeah, two months ago. So Yeah. And, and if, and it, there are basic videos for your viewers. If they don't know, there's some portions of the Old Testament, a few small portions that are in Aramaic, in especially in the book of Daniel, Ezra. And so uh, it's a closely related language to Hebrew, but it, it is a different language, or it's, I guess a dot. it's like the similarity of Portuguese and Spanish, maybe. Hmm. And um, Scott Callahan, who, who just published an Aramaic grammar in English and an Aramaic grammar in Chinese joint, he published both of these. Um, he's doing, he's provided free lessons, and then he's going to do a video for every Aramaic verse in the Old Testament. Wow. Amazing. All free. That you can yeah. learn the le- the language that Jesus spoke. Yes. That's now yes. available, yeah. and it's all free. All right. Um, Rob Plummer from Daily Dose of Greek and Going Deeper with Greek um, uh, and uh, well, so many other resources, uh, the uh, the Faith and Work Project, et cetera. Anything you want to leave us with? You've been very generous with your time. Anything that um, we didn't cover that you, you think? Oh, you're very kind. Across? I would just encourage your listeners, if they have any inclination, even a little hint of like, I'd like to learn, you know, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, just go to the website, dailydoseofgreek.com or Daily Dose of Hebrew, and just go to the beginning lessons and, and learn the alphabet, you know, or just, just, just put your foot in there for five or 10 minutes 
And you never know, a year or two from now, you could be reading some significant sections of the Old Testament in Hebrew or New Testament in Greek. It's a lot of fun. It's never been easier in the history of the world, never has. in your own home, to learn this. So now's your time. If the average American Christian took a tenth of their, of their binge watching away yeah, from whatever, totally. whatever the favorite binge is, yeah. a, a tenth, a tithe of your binge— you would be reading Greek and Hebrew in the original text in two years. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's completely true. Yes. And if they took all the time they spent watching Netflix and Apple TV and so on, in two or three years, they might be a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Yes. Yes. And, you know, one other point here, just I'm reminded that something happened just a few days ago. I'm here in my son Jeremy's office and his son, Arthur, spends time with us and we do, you know, my wife and I do Greek and Hebrew together. So the other day he was sitting over there in the other part of the office and I was, I was singing Aleph, Beit, and Gimel, Dalit. And he's just singing along quietly with me. I didn't know he had picked it up. Little three-year-old boy. Um, I didn't even know. And everyone in the office is just staring at this little boy as he's churning out the Hebrew alphabet. Now, didn't take effort. He was just around it. So yeah. if you're going to do this, if you're in your home and you're listening to these videos, it's going to pour out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people are going to look and say, maybe I can learn it too. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some osmosis. You're going to be a little center of biblical. What, what is that uh, my pastor told me about this? Little Gidding. Mm-hmm. Have, you, have you heard of the, the village of Little Gidding? It's a Christian mm-hmm. community bombed in World War II, tragically. Christian community, peasant community. They all learned... Greek and Hebrew to study the Word of God together. Mm. Let daily dose of Greek and Hebrew make the whole world mm. a little getting. Uh, it, it can be done. That's inspiring. Thank you. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Plummer. Really appreciate it. It's a joy. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts and improve our national conversation by sharing it with some friends. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.